Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And on the Thought Leader Podcast, we search the world for interesting and fascinating and sometimes remarkably smart guests who are going to challenge the way you think, they're going to inform you of things that you may not have thought about, and they're going to ignite your imagination as we discuss all sorts of topics. All right, without further ado. So, Dr. Daigle, tell us about that killer logo on your cap today. Believe it or not, it's um, the logo for a, a vegan restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina, that just won Best New Restaurant in the City. The chef owner happens to be visiting from Charleston. I'm based in New Mexico. He just got in last night. And we're going to go tour New Mexico. So, vegan restaurant, eat plants. That's awesome. Neon Tiger, it's called. The Neon Tiger? Neon Tiger. Awesome. Go check it out. So in terms of uh, v- veganism, are you vegan? Yes. Uh, I, well, if you're in the space, I think there's a distinction between plant-based and vegan. I think vegan tends to be people that are more activist and plant-based is more people that are eating, eliminating meat and dairy for health reasons. And I, my wife's a vegan. I'm plant-based. So Nice. Um I am a plant-based person, but I also eat eggs and um, milk. So I'm sort of a plant-based guy. Yeah, most better for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, I always tell people um, the the Mister Rogers line. I don't know what word for word, but there's something about um, he doesn't eat animals that that are friendly or something that, yeah. that he likes. Yeah. And the second I met like a, a chicken, I liked that was it. Once I met a fish, I liked that was it. <laughs> yeah, it happens for the good of the planet and for your own body. So, what? How would you describe yourself uh, to I don't know aliens if they? Well, the New York Times and everybody else is saying they might they might exist. So that's yeah. pretty exciting. But how would you describe them, yourself to them if they came and knocked? So. If they understood the dynamic of business, I would tell them that I was a fixer. That's how I got this nickname, Dr. Daigle. I, it's a combination of business acumen, experience, and my robust network. I think if anybody comes to me with a business-related problem, a, a few steps removed from my industry uh, even, I think that I'd have a guy or I'd be able to give them some advice based on personal experience or results that I've gotten for clients something along those lines. So I'm a fixer. A Winston Wolf, if you recall from Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. fiction they called Mr. Wolf. Something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. Not as messy. So that's mainly it. But, but it, it typically, it's um, a function of a growth strategy. Typically, there's a saying in business, of course, that there's not, there's not many problems that more sales can't fix. So uh, a lot of what I do is I advise on a growth architecture strategy that helps scale their company quickly, make the growth easy, and keep them sane in the process. That's kind of my my tag. We were talking with somebody recently um, who called himself a growth hacker and then proceeded to define growth hacking as something totally different. What are your thoughts about uh, the term growth hacking? So I think that the reason that I use the term growth architect is Buckminster Fuller, a futurist, he, he – 
had a show at maybe Cooper Union a few years back, and you walk in and there's this huge quote, and it said, "You don't something along the lines of you don't win by competing in the existing paradigm. You create a new paradigm that makes the old one obsolete, right? And I think that growth hacking is a paradigm that people have heard enough to where they're like, oh, I get it, right? But growth architect, I've actually only met one other person who uses that term, and I spoke to him today. And I, I, I think that that's a little different because an architect makes the plan, but the architect doesn't necessarily lay the pipe or, you know, put on the shingles. They, they uh, may not even be on the job site after the plan is, after the, 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 the very detailed instructions are created, the architect doesn't really even need to be there. And that's kind of, outside of my own companies, that's what I do with clients is I uh, ask them a battery of questions that helps me make sure that, that they're clear on where they want to go. And then from there, we usually work backwards. And that usually starts with a dollar amount. And it's, I want to be a hundred million, a billion, 10 million, whatever that number is. And then we kind of work our way back. And then from there, I find the easiest leverage points in business and growth uh, of a business is evaluating their marketing and sales. Um, I've got 20 years experience in direct response marketing, primarily in a digital environment. And it's very easy for me to quickly identify places in somebody's business where they're not doing this or this, this conversion rate's too low. We should probably investigate that. So I look at one of my mentors called them GOOs, G-O-O, glaringly obvious opportunities. And then from there, we really start chipping away at the GOOs and voila, business grows. And it's not, it doesn't have to be hard, doesn't have to be the grind doesn't have to be 80 hours. It's usually, uh, and because of my M&A experience, I'm always looking for leverage, leverage opportunities. And leverage to me is not more work. Leverage is more thinking. How can I do this in a better, a more elegant solution, more intelligent design? How can I leverage other people's resources? How can I get access to their list, their team, their smarts, their capital, whatever that thing might be, and use that and a function to where it creates a win for the resource holder and a win for the resource user. Ideally, uh, the resource holder, we're leveraging um, unused capacity or bandwidth even. So it's kind of, that's the, the framework for my fixes typically. Um, so that's, I don't know if an alien would have followed that, but you know what would have happened, dude? It would have all occurred telepathically. So none of that would have been said with an alien. So if the if the alien if the alien came to you in the form of a three year old, how would you describe that to the three year old? Daddy fixes alien? people's businesses. Daddy makes their businesses better. Wait a minute. Did you say daddy? So so in this hypothetical scenario, you are the father of the <laughs> three year old alien. No, I, I think generally that just using the term daddy, they would get the dynamic, oh, this guy's a boss. This guy's a daddy, right? My wife and I moved here from New Mexico, from West Hollywood, and it had a different connotation daddy did uh, in our old neighborhood than it does here. But generally, I will address myself with my team, at least in third person, as tell daddy what's going on. Let's, daddy needs some answers or whatever. So it's, it's all D's. It's all D's. Daddy, Dr. Daigle. Daddy, Dr. D. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the, some of the, um, uh, folks that we're talking to are extremely optimistic about kind of where young people are headed. I'm curious as to what you're seeing in the, you know, to be honest, in the field you're in, I mean, from investing to business design to growth, all that stuff, kids are thinking differently. 
Well, here's my advice. I think the young people who turn the news off will do a lot better than those who watch the news. So it depends. For those people that aren't watching the news and they're uh, seeking counsel from mentors, I don't think it matters really what, what year you were born, you will thrive. If you seek to participate in, Mark Twain had a saying, and that saying was, when you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect, right? So, uh, but in general, I think that, um, you know, I, I don't know. I hear a lot of stuff. I'm not involved in, in the political discourse occurring or the social discourse that it, that's occurring. I'd, I'd rather create my own reality up here. And if I don't have outside influences, then my reality, perception is reality. It might as be reality, right? So in my reality, the kids will thrive. How about that? So if you're talking to um, kids, <laughs> I, I've talked to many kids who tend not to like taking mentorship from a guy that looks like me. I've got too much gray hair and, and, and things can't possibly be the same. But if you were talking to one of these kids, and I, I can easily accept that they're probably the smartest generation of kids I've ever come across, how would you suggest that they design their business? Because they want to, all want to be entrepreneurs. They all want to build businesses. How should they design it, or how do they how do they plan it? Where's what's the first step for them? Great question, Randy. And I'll tell you that when giving advice, I no longer say, "Here's what you ought to do," or "Let me give you some advice." Mm -hmm. I found that I, I end up saying, "Look, one thing you might want to consider is blank." Right. Yeah. So I, I'm like, I really watch my language. So and that's with grownups and with kids. But what I would tell them is same thing I do with any of my clients. What do you want? Right. And if they say I want a red Ferrari, okay, well then I'll work them through a plan. If they say I want to uh, be happy and I want to spend time with people that I love, like depending on what their goal was, there'd be a different, uh, a different course of action prescribed. However, I think that generally there's some tenets that I wish that I would have uh, been taught when I was younger. And one of those is, is that success is a process and it's not an event. So if you bounce around to things, this typical, I've heard it called shiny object syndrome. Oh man, they're killing it in crypto. They're killing it in mm -hmm. pay-per-click. They're killing it. Yeah, they're killing it, but they didn't kill it starting on day one. They killed it because they've been digging in on something and learning and, and crafting and tweaking and that sort of thing. So I would advise them that success is a process and not an event. I would uh, encourage them to really understand how to work above a business as compared to work in a business. A skilled technician is a commodity. If I charge mm -hmm. you a dollar less than this guy will, who's getting the job, right? So I would encourage them to uh, not necessarily, and this is, I, I probably advised at least 1,500 entrepreneurs on their mergers and acquisition strategies. And one of the things that I teach them in general is they're all looking for tactics, right? And it's not about tactics, it's about frameworks and understanding the bigger picture. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not a deal unless it's a deal for you. And then the final bit of advice that usually really hits home is that you will make more money as a deal maker than you ever will as a business owner mm -hmm. or a widget creator or a coder or anything like that. If you mm -hmm. understand how to structure the relationship between two parties so that they uh, get synergies that they don't see, they don't have bandwidth to evaluate, 
they don't know each other because they're disconnected, that that right there, just from introductions, I've made millions of dollars. Just from saying, Joe, meet Jane. Here's why I think you ought to meet. Dot, 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 dot. Now, there's a further process. I kind of jockey the deal a little bit. I make sure that, especially if there's a residual compensation environment, I'll check in with the people who, not necessarily the principals, but the people who are turning the knobs to make that deal continue to run. But that's what I would tell them. I'd say, look, stick with something and learn how to structure deals. Don't you don't you don't want to be just a cog. You want to be the creator of the the machine. So I think that bit of advice if the, they were able go ahead, go ahead. So what was the first deal you ever made that you can remember back to? Being facetious, um, I learned arbitrage in the fifth grade when I bought a bunch of candy from I think it was the TGY. I was living in Jackson, Mississippi at the time, and um, took it to school and sold it for more than I paid for it. And I was like, hell yes. Um, but the first real like entrepreneurial big boy deal that I did, big boy to me at the time, I was living in St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. I was renting a condo for, I don't know, whatever. I was 25 years old. And the guy, the landlord, lived in Michigan. And he asked me, do you want to buy the place? And I'm 25. I'm waiting tables. I'm like, no. Well, how much do you want for it? He named a price, and I was like, this is like those candy bars. He wants X, and I know from living here that I can get X plus. And I flipped the property, not even though I'm scared to death, thinking I was going to get screwed on the deal. I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew he wants X. They'll pay X plus. I'll keep the difference. And that's exactly what happened. And that put me on the path to um, pursue entrepreneurship in general, but everything from real estate to deal making to all that good stuff. So what's the biggest what's the biggest loss you've had? Time. And I'll tell you, I heard a quote from somebody the other day and they said, money comes and goes, but time only goes, right? And I'm 48 years old. I'll turn 49 this year. And I think prior to, before I had kids, who gave a shit about time? It was just whatever, right? There's all of it in the world. Then you have kids and one day you're sitting on the toilet and you're thinking, well, if they're this age, then I'll be this age. And when they're this age, and eventually you realize that you're running out of time. And that hit me in 2012. And ever since then, I think the biggest mistake has been uh, any any time that I haven't been a good steward of the gift that I've been given. So one of the things that I'm seeing uh, quite regularly now, Dr. Daigle, is a, a move for people to flip businesses. So just like you flipped your first property, there's a lot of people out there looking for deals where they can buy a business, and then two years later flip it and make money. Where does the the risk lay in that approach? It depends. If you put your own capital into the deal, the risk is obvious. Outside mm-hmm. of that, the opportunity cost, because when you say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. It may not be a conscious no, but you're no longer you know, eyes open scanning the marketplace. Uh, those would be the two biggest pieces of risk. If you structure the deal the right way, mm-hmm. There's no, I'm not suggesting that you're not uh, an ethical operator, but there's no risk for you. I'll give you a perfect example. You want to sell your digital marketing agency for a million dollars. It's a fair price, but I actually think I can get more for it. There's a couple of things that I would do, and I do this all the time. With sales and marketing, I'm going to come in. I'm going to increase the lifetime value of a customer. I'm going to get you more customers. I'm going to focus on maybe some culture tweaks that, that reduce churn on your staff, all those things that optimize a business. Investors, if they're investing in risk, they want a whole lot of reward for it, right? 
And what, but what I would prefer to do is make it a very easy yes for an investor by reducing risk. How I reduce risk is introduction of systems. Entrepreneurs don't like the plan. They just like to get in there and duke it out, right? So I'm going to introduce systems and models into the business. So an investor sees that and they go, oh, wow, if the key man dies, if the dancing bear stops dancing, the business still operates, right? So I would, do, I would be looking at a couple of fixes like that first and foremost. Um, but I do this all the time, I find, just like with real estate. I find a, a business where because of whatever life circumstance, I'm ready to retire. My wife's got cancer. I want to move closer to the grandkids, whatever. People are willing to, they're motivated to, to exit the business. So motivated, in fact, that if you ask the right questions, you realize they don't need all the money today. They might not, may not need any of the money today. As long as they're, and I'm willing to pay somebody more for their business than it's worth if the terms are favorable, if I don't have to make the first payment for 12 months, if I've got the payment amortized over a hundred years, like whatever, there's things you can do to kind of make the deal more favorable. But what I would do, the easiest way for anybody watching this to sell a business or flip a business is to get an option on it. An option is a, a contract that, that gives you the right, but not the obligation to execute on a purchase of something at a predetermined price and terms. Okay. I have sold, I've negotiated. Well, this is where I'm coming back to this deal maker thing, right? I've negotiated well on the purchase, gotten an option, maybe put down a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, whatever as an option fee. So that legally it's called consideration. There's been money transferred, mm -hmm. not a lawyer, not a doctor, not a tax guy, but, and I've taken that paper that allows me to buy a property or a house or a, a, a business or whatever at blank. And I've gone to somebody and sold the paper, not the business. I've sold the paper for a dollar, a hundred thousand, a million, whatever it, it is that I can get for that piece of paper. Now, what happens? Why would they buy the paper from you, Chris? Well, because they now get to go and execute on the deal that I negotiated, right? So an option is probably the easiest way to flip a business. You're not actually flipping the business. You're just flipping you're the just paper. Flipping yeah. So that's a common strategy that I advise clients on for sure if they're flooring acquisition, exit, or just deal making in general. Really appreciate talking to you, uh, Dr. Daigle. We like to keep things punchy and short. So to kind of close us up, I'm curious um, with the uncertainty that tons of opportunity brings, right? So there's, yeah, cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can do... Is day trading now on, on apps? This whole GameStop thing. Well, it's everything's everything's on the table. Real estate, sure. You want to trade on uh, whatever. So with all of that, what are the smart decisions for somebody? And uh, then where can they find you on the internet uh, if they want to go looking? Sure. Smart decision is get comfortable with risk. If you think you if do people make fast money? Some do. I think that all studies will show you that 99% plus of people who day trade lose money. Can you be that 1%? Maybe, but understand the risk associated with what you're doing. I would suggest something that I learned from Nassim Taleb and, and Black Swan, and that's to, to measure things on a longer distance. Maybe, you're, maybe your boy killed it last week, right? Let's look at his, his results over a year, right? Signal versus noise. If you get comfortable with understanding that signal comes from a longer or bigger data set and you're willing to make uh, decisions on signal rather than noise, you'll do okay, kid. How does somebody find me? So I'm on 
Um, LinkedIn under Dr. Daigle. I have a website called chrisdaigle.com, D-A-I-G-L-E.com. I'm on the Facebook, but I'm not on social media a ton. Um, but if you have some questions, if, if what I said resonated and you wanted to get some clarification on any of these points, generally, I'm pretty open to having that conversation with people. Well, thank you for that, Dr. Daigle. We've really enjoyed talking with you. I'm hoping that uh, our listeners have got some value out of it. Certainly, you've thrown some ideas up there that they should grab hold of and think seriously about. Yep. You can do it, kids and grown-ups. You can do it. Love that. The, yeah, the, the, three, the three-year-old the three alien calling you yep. uh, daddy can do it. If, if, daddy. <laughs> Not a daddy. Just dad. Love it. Thanks for thanks for talking with us. All right guys. This has been such a wonderful conversation today. It was surprising, it was intriguing, it was interesting, and this is just an example of the types of guests that we have on the Thought Leader podcast, and we would love you to subscribe so you get to hear the next issue. Or you can visit our our website. Our website is thoughtpartnergroup.com and at the top you'll see a little button that says take the assessment. In one minute you can take the assessment and get a response from us. We'll read everyone. All right. Take care. Have a good life and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.